The Ortho PAC, hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Today's guest is Laura Gerstner. Laura, welcome to the Ortho PAC. Thanks so much for having me, Sam. Yeah, I'm glad to have you on. I've been excited about this interview for a while. Give us a little background on how you became a PA and how you became an educator. Absolutely. So I actually started my undergrad college career in engineering, but I didn't last in that very long and quickly realized that uh, medicine was definitely more my cup of tea and and, um, the field that I thought that I would practice in. And initially, I actually changed my major to kinesiology, thinking I would do physical therapy school. It was the summer between my junior and senior year. I had to complete an internship for my major, and I decided to do it in an orthopedics office that I had been familiar with in my hometown. And there were obviously orthopedic surgeons there, but they also had a PA. And so during that summer, I was essentially trained as a medical assistant and really got to see the difference between what the surgeons did and what the PAs did. And um, I really liked the kind of work-life balance that the PAs had, uh, much more so than than the long on-call hours that the orthopedic surgeons had. And so it really just seemed like a cool fit for me. I also had been volunteering in the physical therapy clinic as an undergrad student at Penn State, and I really liked it, but I, I felt like what happens if I decide I don't want to do sports medicine or, or um, the orthopedic field? I, I liked the lateral mobility that the PA career would give me if I chose to work in other fields of medicine. And so I ended up going to George Washington University. I graduated from PA school in 2003, and I did start working in orthopedics right away out of PA school. I initially worked for a short period of time in Arlington, Virginia, and then actually went back to that practice in Pennsylvania, where I had trained as a medical assistant and and where I got my healthcare experience hours for PA school. But while I was in clinical practice there in Pennsylvania, and then in 2006, I moved to Durham, North Carolina, where I met Sam. Uh During all of my clinical years of of working in orthopedics, I served as a preceptor for a couple different PA programs. When I got here to North Carolina, one of um, my colleagues in the orthopedic practice uh, connected me with the Duke PA program. And so I was actually able to get my feet wet and um, do some lecturing in the classroom and help with bandaging and casting and splinting labs and anatomy lab. So I really determined that I loved the combination of of education and clinical medicine as well. So I worked full-time in clinical practice until 2010, so for seven years out of school. And then I had previously started a master's in healthcare administration, just thinking that that might be the route that I wanted to, to go in my career. And while I was in that program, the opportunity presented itself to help start the PA program at Campbell, which was drivable from where I was living at the time, a little far, but it was drivable. And um, and so I went and interviewed and decided in 2010 to leave clinical practice full-time and go uh, start this PA program at Campbell. So I was hired as the initial clinical coordinator, meaning I was in charge of the clinical curriculum the second year of the PA program. And my role was, you know, developing the curriculum, but also placing students, securing our, our clinical rotation sites and coordinating all things in that second year of the program. So I have been in this position. I'm now the director of clinical education. I have a team of uh, two other full-time or nearly near full-time faculty and a full-time staff uh, person. 
and just absolutely love it. We've graduated our eighth class now, and I still do a little bit of PRN clinical work in orthopedic urgent care, covering kind of as needed. Some years I have more shifts than others, but really my full-time role is in the PA program. And in addition to director of clinical education, I chair the admissions committee, and I've done that for most of the years I've been there. And I also serve as the faculty advisor to our student society, which is our student organization that does community service and fundraising to, to send our students to the National AAPA conference each year. So get to wear multiple hats, which I really enjoy as well. I'm just curious, if I'm a prospective PA student, what, what's going to make me more attractive as a student uh, for the PA program? Is it uh, having a strong GPA, the entry exams? I was hoping you might go over some things that prospective PA students might want to think about? We like to see a, a very well-rounded applicant. So like I mentioned, we, our program in particular, and, and this is one of those things that when you look at one PA program, you look at one PA program. There's going to be slight differences between programs, particularly with uh, prerequisite courses, as well as with required healthcare experience. And so uh, at Campbell, we look at the GPA and we look at both the overall GPA and the last 60 credit hours. And whichever of those two is higher is the one that we consider more heavily. Um, just understanding that some folks go back and do another graduate degree or maybe just perform stronger in their more recent years of, of schooling. And so uh, we take whichever's higher. We look at the prerequisite GPA as well as the overall science GPA. We also look at the GRE scores, which is the graduate uh, record examination, sort of the generic, almost like the SAT for grad school. That may be going out of favor. Their colleagues in medicine and in uh, pharmacy have very specific uh, entrance exams for their programs. So there's the MCAT and the PCAT for uh, medical school and for pharmacy school. So they have actually recently developed a PACAT, which is the physician assistant version. And it really is focusing on the um, most common prerequisite courses and base knowledge in those courses. And this year was the first year that it was offered. So I do think that once we have some preliminary data and we, and we can see how PA CAT scores translate to success in PA programs, I think if that's favorable data, you will probably see a lot of PA programs looking into that, potentially in lieu of the GRE. And so I think that's going to be uh, an important predictor of success in PA programs, more so than the GRE, which is a verbal and quantitative and a writing um, component to that exam, but not necessarily specific to incoming knowledge or prerequisite knowledge for PA schools. We also look at healthcare experience. I think that's really what makes PA programs and, and PA students unique is that most programs require at least some amount of, of healthcare experience or hands-on patient care experience from applicants. And, and that really assures us that you've thought about it, you've worked with patients, this is definitely the field you wanna get into. We require a minimum of a thousand hours at the time of application, but our average applicant has to be competitive usually between four and 5,000 hours. So it's not uncommon for applicants to take a gap year or two or three and really, you know, beef up their healthcare experience and, and get that experience. And, and the other place that that helps is then you, it's easier to get letters of recommendation from people who have worked with you and can attest to your patient care experience, which is a really important part of the application as well. And then just taking the time to, like I said, fill in the 
kind of extra questions, the things to think about, community service, leadership, research, other work experience. So making sure that you take the time to, to fill those sections out is really important because I want to see that somebody is well-rounded, not just that they're an exceptional student, but that they're a good student and they also have done a lot of other things to help their community or, or leadership roles. And one other thing I wanted to add is just taking note to when application cycles open and if programs are, most of us are on rolling admissions, which means that we uh, read, uh, read and evaluate applications, interview and accept students on a rolling basis. And so if you wait until the day before the application deadline to apply, the chance of your application even being read is very slim. Like I mentioned, we have 1,500 completed applications. That doesn't even include the almost 1,000 applications that were not completed. And so we, and we only have 54 seats. And then we accept a wait list of pretty similar to that number, usually 40 to 50 on the wait list. And so the earlier you apply in the cycle, it absolutely improves your chances of getting an interview and, and getting a seat in the class. Uh-huh. So that's really, really important as well. Well, you know, I can say for all of our future colleagues, thank goodness the GRE goes away. I remember having to take that booger and, you know, I did really well in the math and the logic part. This was before writing, but the English part, I thought I was doing good. And then I got my results. I was like, oh, that's not so great. As anyone who (laughs) listens to the podcast can kind of, you know, figure that part out. But anyways, I get clinical staff, allied health people, PAs, or people that want to go to PA school asking me to write them a letter of recommendation and happy to do it for most folks. You know, you said that healthcare experience is very important and people ask me this all the time. What kind of experience? I mean, do you look more favorably on someone who say, you know, has done CNA work or worked in an ED as a volunteer, ENTs, RNs? I've had a variety of different backgrounds. Do you wait one more or is it just basically in general, having hours and hands-on care? Sure. So we say that the most important feature is that it's hands-on patient care. And the only minor exception to that is if you work in a behavioral medicine field, and you're as long as you're working with patients, obviously you may not necessarily be touching patients, um, but you're working directly with patients. So if you're doing hands-on patient care, it doesn't matter to us um, whether it's paid or volunteer. It doesn't matter to us whether it's in a, a general field of medicine or a specialty. Um, it really doesn't matter to us if you have like a certification as let's say an EMT or paramedic versus maybe just an on-the-job training medical assistant position in an office setting. Um, so those pieces don't matter to us uh, near as much as just making sure that it is definitely hands-on patient care. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention, a lot of times we see folks getting rec- letters of recommendation from clinicians that they've maybe shadowed for a very short period of time, particularly PAs. I would shy away from that. It's hard for somebody to really brag on you and say much more than what your CV shows if they've only spent a few hours with you in a shadowing capacity. You can usually get a much stronger recommendation from a supervisor, and that could be a nurse, it could be a physician, it could be a PA or nurse practitioner, but somebody that has actually worked with you and supervised your work is usually a much uh, longer and stronger letter of recommendation than a few lines written by somebody that you've just shadowed for a few hours. Mm -hmm. So definitely keep that in mind when you're asking for your letters of recommendation. Great stuff, prospective PAs. I hope you take some of this to heart. I mean, I also tell people, you know, community service is huge, having a lot of hands-on care. You know, you want to show that you're very into it, that you want to do this job, that this is your career. 
Absolutely. Can I add one thing to that as well, Sam? That's a great point. Yeah, yeah. In the, in the essay, the prompt is, you know, why do you want to be a PA? And we want to see that you have a passion for the, not just medicine, but the PA profession in particular. Um, and we tend to see a lot of folks say, you know, well, PAs get to spend more time with patients. I'd like to think that was true. Um, Sam, you can probably agree with me on this. In orthopedics, we saw just as many patients as many of the physicians did, you know, maybe 25, 30 a day. So I wouldn't consider myself spending more time with the patients. But there are lots of awesome qualities about the PA profession that you can talk about. The lateral mobility, having the ability to work in orthopedics for a few years and then maybe switching to internal medicine or pediatrics, just having that, you know, kind of career flexibility, work-life balance. Maybe there's a PA that you've worked with that you were, you were really inspired by their, you know, provider-patient relationship. So I think just really showing your passion in your, in your personal statement as to why you want to be a PA specifically, not just why you want to work in medicine or why you're drawn to healthcare. But make sure you, that you actually, number one, mention the words physician assistant in your personal statement, um, but also make sure you spell it correctly and make sure you don't put that per, uh, apostrophe S on physician and, and call it physician's assistant, because that will be one of the first things that knocks your application out of our review. <laughs> so just make sure you're, you're very careful with that as well. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure the grammar is right. I mean, if you're going to do this, make sure you do it right for sure. But that's great information. Thank you so much. Sure. Are there any other resources, places that they can go to research more about the profession, understand what it's like, you know, what the programs are like, that sort of thing? Absolutely. So PAEA, which is the Physician Assistant Education Association, has a free online PA program directory. You can actually go in there and it will show you all of the accredited PA programs. And it should link you directly to their website as well. Because like I mentioned before, you look at one PA program, you've only looked at one PA program. We all have slightly differing requirements, prerequisite requirements and courses and, and hours of healthcare experience. And so you do want to make sure that you understand all of the uh, nuances to the programs that you want to apply to and that you can meet all of their requirements. Um, so that is found at directory.paeaonline.org. And that, like I said, is a great free resource. Another thing I would um, take a look at is completing a prep course for um, the GRE or uh, as this PA CAT exam becomes um, more widely accepted and used, put a little bit of effort at least into um, getting, you know, a decent score on the entrance exam that's required for the programs that you're interested in. And most of the time right now, that's going to be, for most programs, that's going to be the GRE. Mm -hmm. And AAPA, which is the American Academy of Physician Assistants, has really great resources um, for prospective PA students, so you can learn more about the profession. Some of the buzzwords in the profession um, right now are, are words like optimal team practice, a wave of the future for PA practice that we will be working with collaborating physicians, and optimal team practice really lets the amount of supervision be determined at the practice level based on the PA's amount of experience in that field of medicine. And so you get invited to interview at a PA program. You might be asked some questions about that called optimal team practice or OTP, but just, you know, understanding the PA profession, understanding the history of the PA profession and some of the things we ask our interviewees, most pressing problems facing health healthcare today. So just being well-versed on issues in the healthcare system and how PAs fit into the healthcare model are, are really important. And PAEA as well as AAPA are both um, really great organizations for uh, folks interested in applying to PA school. 
So all of you prospective PAs that happen to be listening to this, uh, you're listening to somebody that makes the decisions. Laura, thanks for all this. I really appreciate it. I do want to make a quick plug for the PAOS. If you're coming along and you decide you want to do orthopedics, we do offer two $5,000 scholarships uh, every year to the second year PAs who express an interest in ortho. Thanks, Laura, for this information. I'm sure a lot of people will find this very helpful. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining the OrthoPAC podcast. Physician Assistance in Orthopedic Surgery is a professional organization dedicated to providing common direction for PAs in orthopedics. Learn more about membership at paos.org.